Hi there and welcome to the latest edition of the Net Weekly Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast which is brought to you by fans for fans and where the content is absolutely free. It is episode 200 uh, of the, the Net Podcast. I'm your host, uh, I'm Colin Armstrong. We're running uh, a night late. We were, we were supposed to be live last night uh, but there was a wee issue uh, with Craig, the host. Uh, I hope he's well, by the way, if he's watching. Hope he's keeping well. Uh, so we had to postpone because I, I couldn't uh, step in last night, but I was able to step in tonight. So we're 24 hours late, uh, but, you know, we're still free, so don't want it as too much. Uh, as I say every week, guys, it's not just a pod that we do here. Uh, we've also got forums and, you know, the website, all that kind of thing. History, history archive on the website. Uh, Frankie's got his social media, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'd actually put the word out there on social media, let people know uh, that we're here and also sh- uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, if you can. Uh, before we, we go on and bring in my guests, I'll have to mention our uh, partners at Forest Precision Engineering, who are a subcontract uh, Glasgow-based engineering company. They've been a big uh, supporter of the club and a commercial supporter of the club for many years. Uh, if you want to find out more about what they're about, visit their web- website at www.forestprecisioning.com. They also have a, a, an executive lounge in the, the main stand. If you want to have a, a wee crack at that and see what's going on in there, email the club at hospitality at rangers.co.uk. Also have to mention Zenith Coins, who produced the official Rangers Club coin. Each gold-plated coin has a unique serial number engraved on the outer rim and comes complete with a Rangers presentation box and certificate of authenticity. Easy for me to say. Uh, a host of famous Rangers supporters, including Alan McCoy, Stanley Johnson, Marvin Andrews, uh, Tom Stolman, Gordon Ramsay, all own one of these collections. Uh, they've also produced a 150th anniversary collection, which is limited to 1,872 sets worldwide. They've been released in small batches. Uh, and celebrate five iconic milestones in Rangers history, which include the Founding Fathers, Ibrox Stadium, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup win in 1972, uh, nine in a row, and the 55th league title. Uh, more information available on that at www.zenithcoins.com. Uh, I'll have one more part to mention later on, but in the meantime, I'll bring in my guests, and we have to bring back uh, someone who left. And it's, it's suddenly, he's, he's done a Haitley, he's done a Mark Haitley, he's came back. Uh, out the blue, uh, it's Ross Bennett. How are you, Ross? You yeah, could have gone Mark Haitley, you could have gone Stephen Smith, you could have gone Chris Boyd, um, could even have gone Kenny Miller, but Mark Haitley, I'll take Mark Haitley, that's fine. That's um, fine, I think these days, as you know. <laughs> I know, I don't have his, uh, his hair. <laughs> you don't want um, his hair either. You certainly don't want his hair when he was when he was playing for us, that's for sure. No, 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 no I'm very well. Thank you for having me back on episode 200 as well. It's, um, a sort of happy coincidence that it's you and me on, on 200 when it was 200 episodes ago, you and me speaking about games like yeah. Scoopy and Progress Needed Corner and all that stuff. So, no, thank you for and then and, and, and several humpings by, by several Celtic, humpings. if I seem to recall. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, those were the days, I say those were the days. <laughs> and now you're back, we're getting humped by Celtic back. again. So, I know, uh, I know. it's maybe you, it's maybe you. I'm sorry. Uh, and we're also joined with someone who's uh, more sort of new to the pod, a, a more recent signing. Uh, it's Brian Archer. How are you, Brian? I'm good. Um, got a bit of extra spring in my step after yesterday's result, but I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, I, it was unexpected. It was a, it, it was a kind of a it was kind of a bizarre weekend because Rangers won, Celtic uh, got beat, but still. <laughs> <laughs> you still kind of feel that there's a bit of a cloud over proceedings, which we'll go on and talk about. Because, uh, I mean, I, I was at the game on, on 
Saturday, Ross. I mean, I think you could say that the first sort of 20 minutes or so, we, we looked good. We got the early goal through Cholak. Uh, but for me, you know, it was not a, a, a great performance at all. You know, I, I felt it was a performance that provided more questions than answers, if you know what I mean. But I came out of the game saying, we've got three points, but what about this, what about that, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I think given the recent run, you know, the defeats against Celtic, uh, Ajax and Napoli, a little bit unlucky against Napoli. I think 3 nothing was uh, severely flattering and, and really harsh on Rangers. But we've been looking for a reaction. And I mean, even although we got the result, as I said, I still came out of the ground thinking, uh, I'm still not convinced. Yeah, and I think that says a, a great deal about the general atmosphere amongst the fan base at the moment, doesn't it? I mean, look, after the, the couple of weeks that we've had with, with Ajax, Celtic and Napoli, this is the game you'd want. You'd want Dundee United at home. They are so bad at the moment. I mean, they, the, 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 the results that they've had in the last month or so are embarrassing. They, they, they are the team you'd want to face at home in order to try and put some confidence back in these players, some confidence back in the manager um, and some confidence around the stands. And, and yeah, after the first few minutes, Cholak gets a, a, a lovely goal. Um, and you feel that actually that first 10, 15, 20 minutes, it felt like we could go on and hand out what's become the kind of trademark characteristic Dundee United humping um, as they're very used to this season. It just didn't really happen, did it? I mean, after 20 minutes, okay, I'm sure we come out again, uh, start the second half, get that second goal through Cholak, but the game wore on, it still felt negative, it still felt slow, lacking the energy that we've seen from Rangers teams over the past couple of seasons, um, leading to Dundee United getting the goal back and everyone getting unduly nervous and tense towards the end. Um, there is, I, I, I think you put it quite well, Colin, We've picked up a win. We've closed to within two points of Celtic going into the international break. They've dropped two, uh, dropped three points away at St Mirren. And yet we're still going, this isn't really great. Um, we'll talk about tactics, we'll talk about setup and personnel and disciplinary issues and all the rest of it, I'm sure. But Dundee United got pumped 7-0 and 9-0, if I'm not mistaken, in the yeah. last couple of weeks. And, and we kind of squeaked by a 2-1. It's, it's interesting, actually. I'll, I'll admit, I didn't see the game live, um, but I did watch it yesterday morning. Rangers TV put the whole 90 minutes up and I sat and I watched it. Um, that, that wasn't, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable way to spend my Sunday morning, but I did it. But I'd already actually listened to Sports Sound. Sports Sound, you can get it later in the podcast, and I'd listened to that. And what the BBC were saying was, um, Rangers won, Rangers deserved to win. Um and Dundee United played really well. Dundee United put up a really, really good fight at Ibrox. I didn't see it that way at all. I, I saw it as a Rangers team lacking in energy, lacking in intensity, lacking in confidence, kind of going through the motions. And 2-1 at home against a team that's getting roundly scalped doesn't fill me with confidence at all. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be believing anything that BBC Scotland say because, I mean... You know, we all know what they said about the minute silence being yes, uh, interrupted. You know, they couldn't detect where the, the interruption was coming from. Okay. I mean, I would agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't agree with BBC Scotland's assessment of the game at all. I thought it was a really sluggish, poor Rangers team. And Bungie United are just shite, let's just face it. And they, they, yeah. they're a really, really poor team at the moment. So I, I don't think they played particularly well either. Uh, it was it was one of those 90 minutes where it was like, that's 90 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back. 
Uh, and that, that that's that's kind of how it felt. Uh, Brian, I'll, I'll come to you now. And, and my first concerns on Saturday was uh, I, I was kind of later into the game because of my son. He, he started a, a job on Saturday, his first job, so he started it on Saturday morning. He was late getting back, so because of that, we were kind of we never got into the ground to sort of five ten past three. Uh, but as I was coming through, I'm sitting on the train checking the team, and when I seen the team. I was kind of like, okay, right? There's, there's, there's one geo signing in that team. You know, it's it's, it's pretty much a, a, a Stephen Gerrard team, apart from uh, Brian Jack, who was, who was obviously there pre uh, Gerrard. And you know, there's just this feeling that we a few of the teams are now that, despite the fact that we felt we've done some good business in the summer, none, none of these, you know, okay, there's a couple of injuries affecting it as well, but. You're just getting the feeling that there's there's no trust from Geo in terms of some of these new signings. Yeah, for me, I was quite happy to see King and McCann in the team. Uh, particularly McCann's been quite impressive whenever he's kind of had cameos here and there. Um, so I was quite keen to see him. I don't think the number 10 is his best position. I was slightly concerned that he was essentially playing three deep line midfielders at home to effectively the worst team in the league. Um, and my other thinking was if guys like Ridvan Yomas and Ben Davies, if they can't get a game now, when can they get a game? Surely that was the perfect opportunity to kind of bring these players in, get them familiar with their teammates, get them used to playing at Ibrox, get them used to playing in Geo's system. And if they're not getting a game now, I can't really see where they do get a game. We've got a busy October coming up, we're going to need to use these players and it's slightly concerning that, as you say, he doesn't seem to trust them or either doesn't trust them or he doesn't think they're good enough and you know both of those options are pretty concerning to be honest given that they're just in the door um, and if he's writing them off already that what does that say about a summer transfer window yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's I mean obviously in, in the case he's sort of like uh, sure you know there's, there's, there's injuries you know and, and there's a couple of other issues as well you know I've heard rumours about personal issues with one or two of the, the, the players involved but it's it's still a real concern, Ross, that none of these these players are, are, are coming in. You know, after I, I found that a concern against Napoli, I, I was again I was looking at the team, thinking, I think like six or seven out out that starting eleven started in Steven Gerrard's first season in Europe. You know, I think that that group game against Rapid Vienna. You know, and you think to yourself, that's like four years ago, and we're still depending on like seventy percent, eighty percent of that 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 group so to speak it's it's a worrying worrying trend you know what I mean I know, I know some players have moved on through the summer and, 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 and therefore some other guys are coming in but it, it really is worrying that so many of these players are only getting a start yeah absolutely absolutely um, it's it, it's bizarre and, and as you say it doesn't fill you with any confidence regarding the transfer business that we've done over the summer and that makes me worried about January as well by the way we spent money in the summer you know, boys like Ben Davies, boys like Gilmaz, um, they're expensive players. And the salaries that the likes of Tom Lawrence will be on, they're expensive. It's a lot of money. So it's something is, it, it almost suggests to me a disconnect between the manager and the scouting department or the manager and the director of football, maybe. Um, the manager doesn't fancy these players that have been brought in. Now, you, you referenced there, Colin, that there's rumours flying around about personal issues and injury issues and whatnot. The problem that we have is that the club hasn't really come out and dispelled any of those rumours. The club has 
good links with certain parts of the media and certain parts of fan media that if they wanted to get a message out there on this lie, they could do to quash some of these rumours or to quell some of these rumours, whether that's personal issues, disciplinary issues, which again, there's talk of disciplinary issues around the training ground this week. Um, when the club don't silence those either explicitly or implicitly through the fan media, people will start to talk and generate these rumours. And it, it again, it just adds to this feeling of discontent, this feeling of malaise around the whole club at the moment. Um, that not just that the performances are poor, but we're not able to rely on the players that were brought in over the summer. I, you know, you'll probably sort of laugh at me for this, Colin, but you know my feelings on players like Scott Arfield. You you know my feelings about the fact that we gave Scott Arfield another year, we gave Alan McGregor another year. Um, I wasn't even overly comfortable with the fact that Stephen Davis got another year, albeit I could see the reasoning behind that. But particularly with the likes of McGregor and Arfield, those were players that, when people were saying, why are these guys getting another year? They're, they're beyond it and we need to be looking to the future. We were told they're getting another year because they're just so good to have around the changing room. They're such a great, good presence around Ock and Howie. Those guys are getting a lot of games for folk yeah. that are just brought in to lift the spirits in the changing rooms. And that's that's what makes me nervous. When I look at the fact that we are putting out a squad who were not good enough to win the league last year and are all a year older, it feels like we're putting off the rebuild. And, uh, yeah, the fact that boys like Matondo, like Lawrence, Davis, uh, Suter, Yilmaz, whether it's injuries, personal reasons, discipline, whatever it is, they're not getting a the game. These are boys that we were excited about signing. Um, yeah, it really doesn't make me feel very comfortable at all. I'd, I'd like to pick up another wee point that you made there, Ross, and, and get your views on this. You were talking about you know, the club isn't putting any sort of message out there in terms of, you know, dealing with the sort of negative rumours that are circulating. Now, I was, I was having a wee chat with David Wren, formerly of the pod through the week there. Uh, we are kind of talking about the, the incident with, with Ange and, the, and the, the translators, you know, when he, he, he sort of bit the face off that translator. Needlessly so, I would have to be say. I think he could be fair. I think it's fair comment to say he was a bit of a prick and how he, how he dealt with that, that translator. The following day, or two days later, there's a sort of positive, fluffy PR story and and it was the son of the record about Ange and his dad and how he wishes his dad was still see, see him managing Celtic. And I was like, well, there you are. You know, the first bit of negative stuff, you know, when the mask slips and you start to see a wee bit of what Ange probably is really like, you know, they're on it, you know, putting out the positive stuff. We just don't seem to do anything like that. You know, we're, we're really poor in that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Look, it helps, obviously, having a compliant, friendly media. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, ready to run that story rather than the papers that will run stories about Rangers fans using children as human shields to stop the police at a final. Um, yeah. But no, you, you're absolutely right. It's it's a game. And that part of the game, we've been saying it for 200 episodes now, Colin, that part of the game, they're good at, and, and we simply are not. And we've gone through a few head of media or communication directors or whatever it may be in the past five or ten years and we're never getting any smarter at this, are we? I would I would say it goes back further than two hundred episodes. I would say this has gone back twenty, thirty years, but that's another issue. I mean on the signings, Brian, and the, the sort of business, it's kinda of put a bit of a spotlight on Ross Wilson. Now, I mean he's taken a lot of it, especially with with some of the, the outgoings that there's been, you know, Nathan Patterson left for sixteen million. Uh, you know, or Ebo's away for 10 million. 
Uh, and obviously bashes away Ajax for 25 million. You know, huge deals that finally put that model that the club had been wanting to, 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 to sort of introduce for a long, long time, buy cheap, sell really high, make a huge amount of profit. So he's, he's taken a lot of praise for that because, I mean, I mean the Bassey deal alone, you know, he deserves credit for that because that, that's, that, that's an incredible deal. But in terms of the players coming in, you know, there, there does seem to be, as Ross says, a disconnect between the players that are coming in and the players that, that Van Bronckhurst is looking for. I think Chris Boyd made an interesting point when he said, you know, Van Bronckhurst is... It's obviously has no input in the players that come in because he's the only Dutch manager he knows that doesn't have any Dutch players in his team. And I think that could be a valid point. So it does point to there being an issue there between what Gio wants and, and what Ross Wilson is providing. And, and the question marks against Ross Wilson in this respect, you would have to say they're valid. Yeah, it was an interesting article by Chris Boyd. It was actually something I never thought of around the he's the only Dutch manager not to have any yeah. Dutch players. You know, when you see it, you think, well, you know, actually, that's right. Especially when you think back to Advocat and he came in, you know, it was a Dutch revolution he brought with him. Yeah. But in, in this modern day and age, I kind of refuse to believe that Van Bronckhorst has been handed players and then been told by Ross Wilson, right, Ravi Matondo's turning up tomorrow, you need to coach him. I, I can't really believe that Van Bronckhorst wouldn't have some sort of input. So if there's a disconnect somewhere, then they need to sort it. Um, I think... In this modern age of transfers, I don't really think any manager just gets given players and told, you know, right, these are the players we're giving you, it's your job to coach them. Most managers, right, they might not have the final say, they might not get all of their targets, but surely there's a team of people that are working from a list and Van Bronckhorst gets a say in who he wants to bring in. Um, and if there's some sort of disconnect there, then it's, it's up to that team to sort it, whether it's you know, Van Bronckhorst not getting the players he wants or Ross Wilson not wanting to spend the kind of money that Van Bronckhorst wants to spend. I don't know, but there, there is obviously some sort of issue there. I think we can see that just by the teams he's picking and the fact that he's not picking players that have been brought in in this window. Um, and that's pretty concerning, um, especially since, as Ross said, you know, it's not like we've not spent anything. We have spent money. You know, I think Rami Matondo was a couple of million quid as well and He's not really in much game time, and when he has had game time, it looks like it just looks like he doesn't fit the system that Van Bronckhorst wants to play, and it kind of looks like we're buying players that don't really fit what Van Bronckhorst wants to do. And there's also the issue we seem to be we seem to be constantly we love to buy a player that we can all kind of see that is going to end up injured. You know who could have predicted yeah. that John would get injured? I think everybody could have predicted that one. So there's definitely issues in the recruitment department. Um, and to be honest, it's not just this window. I think the last few windows in terms of incomings, it's not been good enough. And that's been kind of played out on the park by the results and the fact that we're still relying on players like Davis and Arfield and McGregor. I, I mean, on, on one of the positives of the, 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 the summer dealings, Brian Cholak, you know, another two goals on, on, on uh Saturday there. I, I loved the first one. I mean, as I said, I, I, I was in a bit late. I, I missed the sort of stramash before the game. Uh, I, I'd actually, on the way in again, I was checking my phone to see what was happening. I noticed that Jordan Campbell had tweeted, you know, that they disrupted the minute silence. And it was the worst he'd heard for a while. He didn't expect to be as bad as that. 
I loved how when Rangers scored that goal, virtually every Rangers player went to that corner with the Dungeon United fans and said, you know, get it right, fucking up these. Because, you know, like, we'll, we'll come on and talk about that later on, but, you know, I, I don't care what your views are on the monarchy or anything. You've been asked to be quiet for 60 seconds. I don't think it's that big an ask. So I, I love the fact that Cholak and all the rest of them went over there. A good second goal as well, you know, near post run, pretty much you would say that's killed the game or Dungeon United did come back a wee bit but you know the, the form that they're in at the moment Dungeon United the minute it went to nothing it was it was it seemed like a big ass for them to come back and you know despite early criticism the big man's scoring a lot of goals and he's a penalty box striker you know I, I, I get that people criticise his work outside the box but when the ball's in the box he knows where the goal is um, he certainly does um, he's been compared a lot to Chris Boyd but I would actually say he's a bit of a for me he's a bit of a combination between Boyd and Jelovic and that he loves a one-touch finish. Jelovic was always good at that one-touch finish. Give him a chance in the box, one-touch, he'll put it away. And that seems to be Cholak's kind of, you know, that seems to be what he, what he thrives on. Um, I think initially I took a fair bit of criticism from Mark Haley and the like, and I think we kind of, that was more, we kind of took time to adapt to his game. I think now that we are kind of used to playing with him and we know that we need to play a slightly different style to when Morelos is there. When, when Cholak's there, it's more about you know, feeding him in the box, getting him the chances. And if we get him the chances in the six-yard box, he'll, he'll put them away. So I think he has been the one kind of shining light of the summer transfer windows, um, if you want to call it that. I think, you know, when his celebration just kind of proves that he, he kind of gets what it means to us and he kind of starting to understand, you know, what playing for this club's all about. Uh, and and as, as Brian said earlier on, uh, Ross, you know... Uh, a well-deserved start, I think, for Liam King and, and, and Charlie McCann. You know, I think there's a couple of boys in that B team, obviously Lowry as well, have been chapping on the door. So, I mean, it was good to see them. I mean, I've, I've felt for a while that James Sands could have been taken out of that centre-half position and we could have put Liam King in there and maybe pushed Sands further up. And Charlie McCann as well, I think, has, has, has deserved a crack. I thought King was comfortable. McCann thought he'd done okay. You know, he had a couple of wee moments. He's... he's Finishing in front of goal was horrific, you know, two or three really good chances and just couldn't sort his feet out. But overall, you would have to say, you know, competent debuts or starts from, from the two of them. And, uh, you know, it's good to see these young boys getting a chance. Yeah, Leon King, very, very tidy. I don't think any of us really had any complaints about Leon King being given any game time now. He's obviously had significant amounts of time on the pitch in the last two Champions League games. Um, and he's... To my mind, he, he doesn't seem to be out of place at this level. Um, what I would say is that, again, the Dundee United game is the perfect game to throw them in. You know, struggling sides in the league at home, the game where we're heavily, heavily favoured to win and Dundee United struggling to score goals. So it's a good opportunity to, to put a youngster in a centre-half and give him 90 minutes in the league. McCann I found a little frustrating probably for the same reasons as you mentioned there a little bit wasteful he, he did okay but I think actually probably the best compliment it wasn't a great game on Saturday and, and no one really other than Cholak in my eyes covered themselves in any glory so maybe the best thing we can say about McCann didn't out of place at all okay, it was it was frustrating and it was tidy and it was comfortable it wasn't spectacular but no one was spectacular so yeah I, I, I don't want to see Charlie McCann start in every game um, it's again, it's be strategic and make sure it's, it's all done at the right time. I know that there's rules around how many appearances they can make and then be excluded from B team matches. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Yeah. We'll keep an eye on that, of course. But yeah, I think it's very, very encouraging to see um, promising youngsters getting uh, getting that opportunity. So um, f- fully deserved. It was the right game to do it. It didn't cost us at all. Leon King, I think, is, is a really, really sharp prospect. And um, yeah, I think we can be... That's, it's probably one of the brighter sparks or brighter moments from, from Tapu's performance. I mean, Brian, after, after we go 2-0 up, uh, I mean... As I said earlier on, you know, the first 20 minutes or so, we looked okay, we looked decent, we looked like we were maybe going and, and win the game fairly convincingly. And then we, we slip into this sort of style that is, you know, it's, it's something that's happening far too often at the moment, you know, really slow, ponderous on the ball, the tempo, no zip about, it's side to side, not, not really turning defences. And, you know, get the second goal again, you get the second goal early in the, uh, in the second half and you, you, you expect that spark, you expect it to to provide the spark for them to go on and, and, and lift the tempo and, and go on and win the game convincingly. But again, we just slipped into this really slow, ponderous sort of style of play and the, and the body language of the players at the moment, I think, is a real concern. They're, they're, I find that, I don't know if, if if this is how Gio wants them to play and they're frustrated by that and it's getting them down or whether there are other issues and Gio doesn't want them to play like that but they can't lift themselves out of this this sort of slow tempo because there are other issues that are, are affecting their performance. But it, it's obvious that it's if we continue to play like this, we're not going to win anything this season. You know what I mean? It's it's not a style that's, that's going to win titles and cups. Yeah, I mean, for once on Saturday, I thought, you know, we made a good start. We'd been complaining previously we hadn't been starting games well. Um, and I thought on Saturday we did that. And I thought, right, we're going to give them a bit of biding now. And then, as you say, we just kind of regressed into that kind of slow, passive position, back, side, you know, going to the other side and not really doing anything with it. Um, and I hear a lot of complaints of people saying that under Geo, we don't seem to have a discernible style of play anymore but my worry is that is the style of play that Gio wants to me that's that style of play is coached to me you know Gio's been here long enough now that I think there's a body of evidence to say that that is how he wants his team to play he wants control he wants you know possession he doesn't want kind of a bit chaotic players just kind of being able to free roam whenever they want he wants that kind of constant control, a bit like, I would probably compare it to a bit like Rafa Benitez, where he wants constant control, you know, dominating possession, but, you know, possession's great, but if you're not doing anything with it, then it's kind of pointless. And for me, that's my biggest worry this season, is not necessarily the players he's picking or anything like that. My biggest worry is the style of play that Gio seems to prefer is not suited to Scottish football. Um, For me, to be successful up here, you need to play quick, you need to play the ball on the ground, you know, up here they've got big centre-halves that will head the ball away every time you put it in the box. But if you play quick on the ground, round their feet, in the box, you know, you'll get joy. But it seems to be that Gio wants a bit too much control for me. The, the body language thing, Ross, you know, there's, there's one or two, you know, the, it really is noticeable, you know. There's there's people in that group that look like they're not enjoying uh, playing for the club at the moment. They're not enjoying their work. It's probably the best way of putting it. I think one player who really looks like that at the moment is Ryan Kent. He's, I think he's he looked off it last season, uh, but this season he's just 
don't want to say sunk to new lows, but I mean, last season, I, I felt he was trying and things just weren't coming off from this year. He just looks, it, it looks quite disconsolate in my opinion, you know, the, the head's down and he, he just can't seem to get going in games. I mean, I, I know he had a few moments last season, especially that game in Dortmund when he was outstanding and we all know the sort of standards that he can reach. You know, if he, if he reaches his his, his capability and his potential in terms of his, his playing level then he's, he's easily one of the best players in Scotland but he's, he's far away from one of the best players in Scotland at the moment which is a real concern Yeah, look, I think we have this conversation about Ryan Kent every six to nine months about how he looks a bit burnt out, he, he probably needs to be dropped the manager's not dropping him, oh the manager's dropped him, he gets a couple of games out and he comes back in with a bit of energy and I do really clearly remember one point last season where Kent went on this long, long, long run without scoring a goal. And it was really, really affecting him. I remember that Emma Dodds mentioned it in a few post-match interviews. I thought, oh, when are you going to get your goal? And you could see it was really weighing him down. I think he definitely needs a goal. He's clearly a confidence player. In his defence, I actually thought he played really well against Napoli. Um, I thought he had flashes and, and, and moments where he looked like he could really... I thought, I, thought he st- I thought he started the game well that night and then yeah. just kind of fell away a wee bit. Exactly. Maybe maybe that again is, is a sign of him being a confidence player. Like It's just not happening for me and he gets frustrated about it. And it's, it's a real cliche, but maybe if he was more consistent, he wouldn't be playing for Rangers. Um, I kind of hate saying that, but I, I, maybe it's true. Um uh, clearly gifted, talented, one of the best players, one of the best natural footballers in Scotland. But you're right, it is not clicking for him right now. Probably, I say we discuss this every season, it probably is worse than it ever has been. Um, I'm, uh, forgive me, I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but that... It's at the end of this, in the, the summer, his contract finishes this, this summer. coming summer. Okay, so it's, um, it's not ideal for anyone then, um, whether he's thinking about, oh, should I have moved on this summer just gone? Should I be looking to move on in January? If he's unhappy, then the club won't be able to try and down on a new contract. We don't want the situation we have with Conor Bolson. No one knows what was going on. So um, I, I, I would suggest the international breaks come at a really, really good time for, for our entire team, but for him in particular, um, to really think about what he wants to do. It, ideally, this international break can come kind of in lieu of him being dropped, and he comes back with a bit of energy and a bit of refreshed vigor um, for for the Hearts game. But I would I don't think we should ever be afraid of dropping Brian Kent. Um, he, he certainly under Gerard, I always felt he was one of those players alongside Tavon Goldson who was undroppable, and that's just never a good situation to be in. He needs to be in in that team on merit. Um, and yeah, at, at the moment, he's proving more frustrating to us than he is you know, devastating other opposition defences. And uh, it's, it probably is more noticeable this season than it has been in previous years. And on, and on the Geo thing, Ross, and, and, you know, a lot of supporters, you know, I, I certainly notice it now in social media that a lot are uh, seriously questioning. Brian said there earlier on that he thinks this is his style, this is the style that he wants to play. Uh, you know, and, and this is his tactics, and you would maybe have to come to that conclusion given he's now had a full pre-season. You know, he never got that luxury last year. He came in sort of midway through the season and just had to sort of, what's it to say, build the plane as as you're flying it. This this year, he's had a full sort of pre-season to implement his ideas and what he wants the the, the players to do, and it, it, it and it doesn't look great or, or you know 
exciting or you know it certainly doesn't fill you with confidence and reassurance uh, and you know as we were saying right at the start of the pod Celtic have dropped points we've won normally you would be coming on going fucking yes you know great weekend we're back in it but it, it was like a couple of hours later after you know my mate messaged me to say Celtic will beat us alright that'll do and I was like oh fuck we're at Tynecastle a couple of weeks I'll bet back to five points you know, I mean, that's kind of how it feels and, and that needs to be addressed. That Geo needs to fix this and he needs to fix it quickly because I think we saw on Sunday they're not the, the great team that they think they are. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Look, momentum is massive in football um, and, of course, Celtic going 364 days without being beaten in the league. That's their momentum. That's how they won the league last year. Um, we can always talk about Rangers throwing away a, a, a lead in the table last year, but have more to do with Celtic getting on a run and not stopping than it did anything else. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with, with everything you've said there. Gio needs to sort something, and I worry that he is demonstrating uh, an unworkable amount of inflexibility. He's saying, this is my style. I absolutely agree with what Brian said. He, he really does seem to be set in a particular style, putting holding midfielders in regardless of the opposition, refusing, you know, I, I'm not saying play Cholak and Morelos together. I'm not saying that that would solve all of our issues. But when someone questioned him on that, his response was, well, I'll never do that. That's not my style. Um, and I don't think that having one set way of playing, we can compare it to Mark Warburton, plan B is do plan A better. It doesn't work because the opposition managers and coaches are paid to work out your style. And... Uh, I actually think Gio's talked himself into a really difficult position there because we've all seen him change games before. He yeah. changes systems and structures within the game itself. And in, in that sense, he's actually really more dynamic than, than the previous managers we've had in the last five or six years. I remember the Dortmund game last season at Ibrox when the first half Dortmund were all over us and then Gio changes it at halftime and, um, and it, it really affected that game. But if he's not willing to fundamentally accept different ways of playing from the outset, look at different shapes, different systems, different personnel, yeah, he's, um, I think if it's a stubbornness or a rigidity, that, that could be what ends up costing him his job. I, there is no need to play two holding midfielders against Dundee United at home. It sounds silly. It's particularly a Dundee United side that are struggling to score goals. There's no need to do that just because it's my way of playing football. Um, I, I don't think that's right. By the way, I would have expected something like that to be identified at interview stage. Like, do you have a question one to the new manager? Do you have a style of play? If so, what is it? And if he says, yes, my style of play is this, people will, will that work in Scottish football when you've got two banks of five and uh, the low block and part of the bus, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, that, that, rigidity really worries me. And is, is that one of the frustrating things, Brian? You know, the, the fact that we have seen glimpses of what Rangers could be under Geo, you know, particularly in that European run last season, but even domestically, I mean, that semi-final uh, semi game against Celtic at Hamden, you know, there was no slow tempo there. You know, we, we dominated that game for most parts uh, and, and thoroughly deserved to go through on the day. You know, the, as I said, the, the performances in Europe and the but also the, the solving things in-game, you know, as, as, as Ross pointed out there, he's changed things during games and, and, and got a positive reaction. 
I think that's what some supporters struggle with. You know, we've seen examples of teams under Geo being really good, entertaining teams and getting great results. And then you go and see Dungeon United on Saturday there, a team that are absolutely dire, that are getting pumped left, right and centre, and Rangers turn in an absolutely turgid performance. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that Gio's a brilliant European manager, he's proven that um, since he's been here. He likes that tactical battle on the European stage with the two-legged thing where he can watch the team on the first leg and then he works about playing them in the second leg. We've seen it in the run of the final last season and he almost tries to replicate that domestically but ends up overthinking it. For me, domestically, he should be putting his best team out there and just saying to them, look, we are better than them, go and prove it. And he almost overthinks it and overanalyzes it domestically. And that just seems to be, you know, inhibiting the players and they play with a handbrake. It's almost like they're playing with a handbrake on and they just need to play with a bit of freedom. And I guess Gio just needs to trust them a bit more domestically that they don't need to be overloaded with tactical information and instructions. It should just be a case of, you know, right, we're playing Dundee United at home, they're bottom of the league. They're shipping goals left, right and centre, go and beat them. But he doesn't seem to do that. He seems to like that tactical battle of trying to overthink, over-tactically analyse, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's really going to be what will cost him if he can't change it and just trust these players a bit more domestically. There's a, Ross, there's also, a, as we sort of alluded to earlier on, sort of hinted at it earlier on, there's a lot of sort of negativity around the club at the moment, a lot of sort of rumours and hearsay going on. You know, there was a, a rumour the club have apparently came out and denied it, but there was a rumour that Matondo was out of the squad completely on Saturday because of a disciplinary issue. You know, Roy, Roy McKay's not been seen in the bench for forever long, and again, the club had to come out on the back foot. You know, they weren't on the front foot explaining before he went away that he, he was going to be away. On the back foot, after he's not been seen for a couple of games, they've come out and said, oh, he's got a family issue back home in Holland. You know, we've already had the Morelos thing, the, the, the disciplinary thing going on there with Alfredo Morelos. All in all, it, it just, you know, when you consider what's going on over the road, you know, the, the, you certainly get the impression that there's, there's a lot of buy-in from, you know, the players, from the support around Ange and, and what he's trying to do. Whereas over here, there's just a feeling of, it's just an unhappy camp. And in my experience, it's very rare for unhappy camps to be successful and he wins trophies. So it, it doesn't paint a happy picture of what's going on in the squad. So I said earlier on, the body language that some of the players suggest that they aren't happy, it's all a bit worrying. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's just this weird malaise or a weird sort of dark cloud hanging over things at the moment. And I think these things are driven by performances on the pitch. You know, had we gotten a point in Amsterdam and... and not being pumped by Celtic and then got a win against Napoli. Um, things like Roy Mackay not being on the bench, it, it just these things wouldn't seem like issues. But now, what with the results not going our way or the performances not going our way, everything just seems to come together to feel like there are bigger issues. And, and it goes back to what we said earlier about rumours that the club aren't quashing. There's that phrase that nature abhors a vacuum, right? So if there's a vacuum and there's no information, we'll start filling it with rumours. So the rumours that I yeah. saw about, you know, Roy McKay's had a fallen out with whoever, and so he's refusing to come to Ibrox so, to Ockenhowie. Um, yeah, rumours that Matondo's got a disciplinary issue, rumours that Kamara's out of the squad because he's fallen out with the manager. Um, we'll never know if these things are true. Also, 
we've all been around football long enough to know that the bust-ups happen on the training ground, whether it's a winning squad or a losing squad, and that's that's the nature of football, right? But when this when things aren't going your way on the pitch, all of these little things also add up to just feel like there's a lack of control. That's how it feels to me at the moment, is that we're not controlling anything. We're struggling through against Dundee United. Um, we're losing in Europe. And there's bad body language. You know, again, if we were winning games, no one would have noticed body language because everyone would be winning, everyone would be happy. Um, if there's rumours of disciplinary issues. There's rumours that coaches have walked out that this uh, the chap that's come up from Man City is there to replace Roy. All of these rumours that are completely unsubstantiated. Um, yeah, it, you can't describe it any other way than just a really dark, ominous cloud hanging over things. And whether that's the manager's job to improve things on the pitch so that these things don't matter anymore or that we don't notice them, or whether it's the board's job or the um, you know the, the media department's job to put messaging out there to clear these issues up. Obviously, we've done that with, with the Roy McKay situation. Um, but, it, you know, again, it goes back to why are certain players not being picked? Why are certain players not in any of the training photos? Do the club have, uh, you know, let's take the Roy McKay, for example. The club don't have a duty to us to tell us that he's got a personal family issue. It's none of our business. But when things aren't going our way on the pitch, we will start asking more questions like, where is John Suter? Where is Ben Davies? Why is Yilmaz not getting the game? And I don't I, I actually genuinely within myself, I can't decide whether the club should be coming out and giving messages to, to quash these rumours or to at least give their side of the story. But at the moment, with things not going how we want them to on the pitch, it just doesn't feel right. Brian, dare I say, I mean, I don't know how old you are. I don't know if, if you remember this, but it kind of feels how it felt towards the end of the last Dutch manager we had, you know, Dick Advocate. That felt like a very unhappy camp. There was all these rumours, obviously rumours that that can't be applied this time because there was, there was, it was suggested then that the Dutch players were getting preferential treatment to the non-Dutch players and there was a split in the dressing room. As there are no Dutch players in the current dressing room, then it's, it, obviously that's not going to apply. But it does feel kind of similar in that you just get a sense that players aren't happy, that you get a sense that the coaching staff aren't happy. And it kind of, you kind of get the feeling that that's why you're seeing what you're seeing on the pitch on a Saturday. There's just, there's no, there's no unity. There's no togetherness. And there's just, there's nothing in terms of what they've got across the street there. You know, as I said, there seems to be complete buy-in to Ange. I know they made an asset yesterday and we all enjoyed that. But overall, over the last year, you would have to say, They've completely bought into his his ethos and what he's trying to do. You just don't get that same sense uh, at Ibrox. Yeah, for me, it's got a bit of an end of days feel about it, where it's it's almost a matter of when or if. I think had that result have gone differently um, on Saturday, and I think we need to be honest, it wasn't that far away from from going differently. Um, I think McGregor pulled off a decent save before it um, as well. I remember. Um, so it wasn't that that far away from going differently. I think most people would have been ready to um, to call time on uh, on Gio's tenure. To be honest, um, and to be honest, you couldn't really blame him domestically. It kind of staggers me that there doesn't seem to be a real unity in the dressing room, given that that's the team that went on that incredible run. You know, if anything's going to foster a sense of unity and togetherness, it should be a run like we had last season. Um, you know, they showed plenty of togetherness when they were 
you know, beating Dortmund in Leipzig, you know, where's all that gone? It kind of just disappeared over the summer. Um, so, I mean, there is, there's, there's real systemic issues in that squad um, and it's going to need to be sorted quick. We've got a massive, you know, bunch of fixtures coming up in October and, you know, we can't really afford to be dropped many points, you know, and I'll tell the gobby yesterday, that's great, but, you know, they're on a pretty good run of form now, as you say, they will fall into what Andrew's doing. Um, over the piece, they're, they're playing pretty well, um, and we're at a stage where we kind of just need to try and hang on to their coattails a bit until the World Cup, and then see what we can do after that, but he's going to need to sort these problems out and sort them out quickly. Um, otherwise, I think it, it will be a matter of when, not if. Hey Ross, on to the, the less savoury thing from, from Saturday's game, uh, which uh, obviously wasn't about the football, it was it was before the game uh, with the Dungeon United fans pretty much disgraced themselves with uh, you know singing and shouting through the, the minute silence. Now, I know this is, you know, how can I put it, things around the monarchy can be a sensitive issue, you know, people are pro and anti and all that kind of thing. And I get that. And I would never go against anyone's sort of views on these kind of things. What gets me, there's two things that staggers me about this, right? One, just the lack of common decency, right? I've I've stood in minute silences for people that I don't particularly like. I can't say that I'm myself a, a huge royalist, but I've been in two minute silences this week, stood there impeccably. You know, I was at the, the, the Rangers game against Napoli on Wednesday. I was at Paul game against Huntley. Both minute silences, impeccable. All you need to do is stay silent for 60, minutes, 60 seconds, you know what I mean? So I think that's an issue. The second issue that really gets me is, see supporters that engage us, do they not appreciate or understand that they are representing their club? Why would you want to disgrace your club? If you proclaim to love that thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a Dungeon United fan and I love Dungeon United. Why would you go out your way to, 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 to dismutch that, you know, to, to disgrace the name and the club and the badge and all that kind of thing? Because that's what it was. It was really bad. I mean, I wasn't in the ground when it, when it happened, but uh, someone in the government front took a video uh, and it was posted on the Twitter on the Sunday. And uh, I mean, for, from the minute the whistle goes, they start, they're popping balloons. I mean, the song that they sung, again, I don't care what your views are on the monarchy, there's just no excuse for that whatsoever. I, I just don't get it. I don't get how football supporters, and, and part of me thinks this is why football was cancelled the week before. They just thought, you know what, we don't we don't need the fucking hassle, let's just bin it. Why can't some football supporters just stay quiet for 60 seconds in a minute silence? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, firstly, do the fans feel that they're disgracing or letting down their club? And categorically, they do not. Did you see the Dundee United statement that they put out after the incident? Uh, it, was, it, just, it just basically said this thing happened and we're aware that it happened. Yeah, we... we, we <laughs> Absolute um, nonsense. It was, it was incredible. It, there was no acknowledgement of any wrongdoing. There was not even the word disappointed, disappointment or sorry or regret. Nothing like that. It was, we told our fans that there'd be a minute silence and we expected that they would follow it. That's not that's not a really a statement at all. That's um, so they didn't let their club down because the club don't care clearly. 
But either that or the, the club either don't care and kind of implicitly supported the actions of their supporters. By the way, it wasn't a small minority of the supporters. I've no, seen no, absolutely not. No. It was the vast majority of them. Um, so they either implicitly support the actions or they're too afraid to upset their own fan base who are anti-monarchy by saying that what those supporters did was wrong. Now, to go back to the, sort of the, the original question of why would they do that, now I do not for one moment believe that, let's call it 80% of the Dundee United fans in that corner on Saturday, I don't for one moment believe that they are hardline, dyed-in-the-wool, anti-royalist, anti-monarchist uh, Republicans. I don't believe that for a second. I actually suspect the majority of those people that were booing and singing couldn't name the Queen's children. I suspect that they couldn't name the difference between uh, you know, a, a republic or a, a, a monarchy-type state that we have. They wouldn't know what that is. They are simply doing it to be trolls. They're simply doing it to get a rise out of folk. And actually, they've done it because they have seriously upset, offended, and angered a huge number of people. What they wanted to do was cause a scene and cause some upset and some anger. And, you know, we had then Rangers fans shouting at them and, and responding and, and giving them what they wanted. I'm not going to criticise the Rangers fans who did that because I, I absolutely understand the reasons why. But they got what they wanted. And they will face absolutely no punishment because it's it's freedom of speech and I don't have to observe a minute silence if I don't want to. Um, but they they set out to cause a scene and upset and annoy people. It's like internet trolling. But the guys, the weird guys on Twitter, it's almost like we forgot that they also exist in person and that they're completely safe in their own little corner because they're protected by the police and by stewards so no one can get to them and cause them any grief. Um, and it's... I think they just saw it as funny. And how pathetic is that? How sad is that? That they saw it as funny to ruin or desecrate a minute's silence. They can't, as you say, Colin, they can't stand still and quiet for 60 seconds because they'd rather wind other folk up. I think it's really sad. I think it's really pathetic. I don't care who the minute silence is for or what your views are on the monarchy or on royal families in general. I just think it's pathetic and it's sad. I'm really disappointed in Dundee United as well for not properly calling it out. I'm really disappointed in the BBC, in other kind of broadcasters. And, and Are you surprised uh, with the BBC? I'm not surprised. No, I'm yeah, not surprised. Yeah. Well, I mean, we should be. The, the, what does the first B in BBC stand for? You know, I, I'm really disappointed in that. I'm disappointed in... Answers on a postcard, of, please. Uh, <laughs> other forms of broadcaster media that haven't properly called it out. I'm disappointed in the Scottish football authorities that haven't criticised them publicly. I just think it's a, a pathetic and yet predictable situation. I had someone contact me uh, saying that Rangers were the only club to have a minute silence as opposed to a minute's applause because they wanted it to be ruined. They wanted the Dundee United fans to ruin it so that then we can get on our high horse. Um, and, you know, you know me, Colin, it doesn't take a lot for me to get on my high horse and look down when those at both like Dundee United fans. But, uh, like, it's, it also, it's, it's now our fault. It's our fault that Dundee United yeah. fans ruined a minute silence to celebrate the life or remember the life of, of the Queen. It, uh, it's it's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's, it's pathetic, it's sad, but it's sadly predictable. And we'll have all moved on you know that's that's what we'll have to do now is that we'll all be encouraged to move on and forget about it and build bridges and 
expected. And I mean, on the, the the sort of reporting of it, Brian. The, I mean, we've spoken about the BBC in terms of how they their comments in terms of it was hard to detect where in the ground the, the disturbance was coming from. We've seen the you know the perennial troll Graham Spears has now brought out a podcast, kind of defending Dungeon United supporters and and Celtic supporters for their for their actions. I was doing a wee bit of internet-based research today for other minute silences that were that were interrupted, and I found an interesting one from 2005. I think it was the League Cup semi-final, Scottish Cup semi-final, Celtic against Hearts. Uh, Pope John Paul had just died, and the Hearts fans interrupted that minute silence. Sixteen supporters were arrested and charged and faced banning orders for that incident. Now, I'm not saying that's a proportionate level of policing. What I'm talking about here is a the reaction from the media to to that incident in 2005 compared to the incident now, and two the the repercussions the individuals are facing. There's no consistency, and as as Ross said, Dungeon United were a bit meh with their with their statement. I don't think there would be anywhere near the issue of Dungeon United were playing anybody else but Rangers. And all in all, it, it just paints a pretty sad picture in this country. I mean, it's. Pretty depressing, to be honest, that, as we've all said, you know, they can't stand there for a minute and be silent. It's not like you're asking them to do much, just be silent. Um, and if you don't want to observe them in a silence, then wait in the concourse. But to, yeah, what, downstairs, huh? to, to do what they did and actively disrupt it with some vile chanting is beyond the pale, to be honest. Um, there's not really... I don't see how Graham Spears can defend that. I don't think... You know, well, well, that. <laughs> I think that's you know, and we we don't need to look in terms of the reaction of it. You know, the one thing it, what it made me think of today was the fifty-five season. After we won fifty-five, there was a fake video released of Rangers yeah. players, and you had politicians wanting action taken before it was even investigated. And then when the video was found to be fake, it was that same politician still questioning it and saying, "Oh, I want to." further discussions on this and I've not seen any Scottish politicians condemn any of the you know vile behaviour in the minute silence over the weekend and I think you know like Ross said it's entirely predictable and just a pretty sad indictment on Scottish football as a whole. Ross there's also as I said I've stood many minute silences with the Rangers support I don't remember them Interrupting one—that's a few now. With, with that mob across the roads, you know they've done it a couple of times at the the minute silences that are held for the Ibrox disaster. You know, there's 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 been other ones as well. You know, as, as well as, as yesterday. Obviously, we had the banner through the week in UEFA. I've intervened. Yeah, they're still sort of treated as you know, the, the in terms of the. The old firm thing, anyway. They're, they're treated as the good side of the the, the battle, and we're treated as the bad side. I, I just don't get it. No, I don't. I don't get it either. Um, I can't think of Rangers fans in about two minutes silence. There will be, of course, some Celtic fans that will now troll through something, find a minute silence where someone had a sneeze. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. I feel that these issues are getting worse, and I'll go back to what I said a few minutes ago about sort of real life trolling now. I feel that they're, they're doing it to, to get a rise out of folk. I feel that we're seeing more and more references to victims of the Ibrox disaster. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel that we're seeing 
more people just trying to push the boundaries of, um, of trying to wind folk up. And I really do believe, you know, that that's why they desecrate, certainly the Dundee United fans desecrate them inside. Because I'll go back to what I said a moment ago. I don't believe for a moment that any of those individuals actually understood the intricacies of different sort of styles of government or, or monarchy and Republican, all of that stuff. I don't actually believe that they are all political science graduates who understand that. So it's just to get a rise out of folk. We're seeing it more with, with Twitter comments about the Irish disaster, which I think are becoming much, much, much more prevalent. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, Brian said it a moment ago, it's a really sad indictment of where society is going and it's being played out in football stadiums. Um, I echo your comment, Colin. I don't know why we're seen as the bad guys in all of this, but what I will now predict will happen is that there will be, I don't know if you've seen a lot of the defence of the Celtic and the Dundee United and the Hips fans as well. I'm sure you'll have seen the, the, the minutes of applause that was routinely or roundly booed by the Hips fans at the weekend as well. They're defending that on grounds of freedom of speech, right? We're free to say whatever we want. Well, 16 Hearts, 16 Hearts fans weren't allowed freedom of speech in 2005. That's all because I'm that, going to say. Because that was sectarian, right? Because they're desecrating the minute silence about a religious leader. Now, let's put to, them, to side for one moment the fact that Queen Elizabeth was the head of the Church of England, um, so religious figure as well, but okay, we'll put that to one side for a moment. Um, it, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of running out of, of, of things to say about it. It's, it's trolling, it's pathetic, but what will happen in my prediction is that with this freedom of speech defence that's being bantered about at the moment, Unfortunately, I can envisage one or two Rangers fans starting to pick up, pick up on yeah. that and start singing songs that we shouldn't be singing. And they'll try and claim freedom of speech and we'll get hammered for it. Sectarianism's rearing its ugly head at Ibrox again. Uh, we heard this song, we heard that song. Because, the, and that's that's what they want. That's, that's the game. This, you know, come back to what is the game. The game is that now we've been baited into it and some idiot will take the bait and sing overtly sectarian songs and that's how Rangers end up looking the bad guy and it's so depressing it's as depressing as it's predictable um, and that's that's where I fear we're going to go Right guys final point before before we wrap up uh, for, for this week uh, now you know the, despite the recent sort of doom and gloom around Rangers and, and Geo and all the rest of it you know, we've, we've suddenly found ourselves going into this international break, only two points behind. Uh, you know, big October coming up. You know, we've got Hearts away, which I think could, could be a tricky fixture. So, Murn at home, Motherwell away, Livingston at home, and Aberdeen at home in the league. Uh, we've also got Liverpool home and away, and Napoli away in the, in the Champions League, as well as Dundee uh, at Ibrox in the, in the Betfred Cup. Kind of focus on, on the league, uh, Brian, because I think that's where. You know how things are going to play out with Geo. I think that's predominantly where it lies. I mean, I think we can look at Liverpool home and away and think there's not going to get much out of that. If anything, and Napoli away is also going to be tricky. So focusing on the league games, you know, Hearts away at first at Tynecastle, that, that's a tricky game. And if he comes out of that with a win and we start to see an improved performance, you know, people might just start to believe in him again. But if it's another lacklustre performance and a defeat then you would imagine the question marks will, will, will be getting even bigger. Yeah, I mean, that, that game at Tynecastle is looking like a crucial one. 
Um, going there is never easy, but you know, this is Rangers. We should be looking at those domestic fixtures and aiming to win them all. There's absolutely no reason why why that shouldn't be our aim and our target. You know, I think at times Gio's been guilty of domestically treating you know Hearts and Dundee United and Hibs like some sort of second coming of Real Madrid. You know, the basic fact is we've got better players than them. Whether you're home and away, let's go and show it. Let's not show them too much respect. Let's, you know, get the foot down, rack up the wins, get back to the top of the league and go into the World Cup on a good one of form. Um, that's got to be our aim and I don't see why we can't do that. Current form suggests that may be difficult, but, you know, that's got to be our aim. I think the players need a bit of a reminder that this is the biggest club most of them will ever play for. And I think it's about time we started showing why and started trying to rediscover some of that form that brought us 55. Ross, does this kind of feel like a period that could define whether it's going to end well for Gio or going to end badly? Yeah, it's certainly a big month, but I agree with Brian. There's no reason to fear any of those fixtures, putting, putting Europe to one side, of course. Um, it, it, it does feel like a big month. It does feel like a defining month. And, and you know, we focused on, on Gio and his tactics and, and recruitment and whatnot, but I think we also need to look at the players. It's a big month for those players who I, I feel have let themselves down, a lot of them. Um, I, particularly the games against Ajax and Celtic, I felt a lot of them really let themselves down. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a huge game, a huge month for Gio. It's a huge month for um, the club, but it's a huge month for, for for a lot of those players. I expect that in January there will be a a fairly large influx of new recruitment, and it's now time for those players to put themselves in the position to make sure that they will be playing for offer Rangers for the next well, for, for the remainder of the season and, and not find themselves looking for new clubs in January. Um, we're, I know it's a bit of a cliche again when you said it earlier Colin we're all sat here with a bit of doom and gloom but we are only two two points behind um, I said it earlier momentum's big in football Celtic have now had their momentum broken um, let's see what we can do to to go on a, a, a bit of a run and um, maybe this is the kickstart that, that we need um, I would like to end with a, a bit of positivity and we are two points behind had it not been for some appalling referee decision, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, we would we would be level, certainly not level on goal difference, um, but we would be level on points. So, yeah, I'd like to. I'm really grateful for the international break coming when it has done. Um, it, it feels like the right time for us. I feel like Celtic would not welcome it at this point. They probably want to get back and put this in mirroring game to bed and try and get on and, and, and get the next game under wraps. Um, but for us, it comes at a good time. Reset, try and get bodies back. Tom Lawrence will be a big, a big boost when he comes back. Um, so yeah, I think we have, despite kind of everything we've said for the last sixty, sixty-five minutes, I do feel that we have reasons to go into this month with some optimism. And um, yeah, I, I think it could be really defining, hopefully in a good way. Right, okay, right. Before we wrap up for tonight, I need to I need to mention uh, our final partners at Football Prizes who are offering you a chance to win a Paul Gascoigne signed framed shirt. 
Uh, entry is £4.95. Uh, there is a maximum of 99 tickets available. The winner will be picked at random uh, this Thursday uh, at half seven, Thursday the 22nd of September. If you want to get on that and buy a ticket for that, go to www.footballprizes.co.uk. Uh, right, guys, that's just about us for tonight. So a big thanks to, to Ross and to Brian for their contributions there. Great stuff, as always. Uh, we were live tonight. We were live on the Monday night rather than the Sunday uh, because we had a few issues last night. But the pod will be available to download and stream in a variety of platforms from tomorrow, including uh, Acast, iTunes, YouTube, Castbox, Stitcher, Spotify, all your usual places. Uh, we'll have a preview show out on Friday night. No, we won't. Actually, we won't because there's no game. I'm on on Sunday. I can't remember who I'm on with, but we've got a show on Sunday, but no preview show. Uh, in the meantime, get yourself on to the Jersnet website and forums at www.jersnet.co.uk. Again, a big thanks to Ross and Brian, and until next time, bye for now.